You're listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, the Rangers suffered a crushing last-minute 2-1 loss to the Blue Jackets on Sunday night at the Garden in a game where they were 26.5 seconds away from earning at least one point. And when you look at the current standings and you look at how many games are left, the Rangers can't afford to be giving away points that they have. They had a third-period lead. They blew that lead. They blew the game. And now they're looking at something along the lines of a 22-9-4 record to get to the 98-point plateau, which right now probably isn't even going to be enough. Uh, if you look at what's going on in the Metropolitan Division, what's going on in the wild card, it's probably going to take more than 98 points. And 22-9-4 and four is just going to get them to 98 points. So there's a good chance they have to play better than that. And for as impossible as that seems, it gets to be even more impossible when they blow games like they did on Sunday night. They have a chance to rebound on Tuesday night, their last game before a 10-day layoff, a game against the Islanders who are reeling as badly as any team in the league uh, playing 500 hockey since that remarkable 17-game point streak they had earlier in the season. They're barely hanging on to a playoff spot of their own. The Rangers are trying to make up ground, so another four-point swing game for the Rangers here is the... They head into the break, the 10-day break with the All-Star break and their mandated five-day layoff. One last chance to get back in the win column, one last chance to feel good about themselves before this 10-day break. And Vince Mercagliano, the Rangers beat reporter for the USA Today Network, joined me to talk about the Rangers following that awful, awful, awful loss. What we can expect on Tuesday, what the mood is in the locker room going forward for the playoffs, how this team's going to handle the three-goalie situation, embracing offense first style of play, and the biggest gripe among Rangers fans right now. So here we go. All right, joining me today to talk about the Rangers is Vince Mercagliano, the Rangers reporter for USA Today, Low Hud, and North Jersey. Vince, how's it going today? It's going pretty good. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing well. I know that in the last, uh, I guess, really 12 to 15 hours, it's been quite the ride on uh, Rangers Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had enough time to look at all the reaction, but I could tell that uh, there is some very emotional reaction to what a, a lot of people were looking forward to it as a big game, and you know... David Quinn said it himself, so I think that that kind of really planted the seed in people's mind that this was not quite a must-win game, but a really important game for the Rangers, probably their most important game of the season so far. And then with it ending the way that it did, a goal with like 27 seconds left, I mean, you couldn't really pick a more crushing way to, to, to lose. And you even felt it with the players in the locker room afterwards. I mean, talking to guys like Brendan Lemieux, I mean, they, they flat out said it sucked. They were they were really upset by this loss. This, this is definitely a big hit for them. Yeah, David Quinn preached about it being a four-point game because it's in the division. Uh, and, you know, you alluded to the fact that it maybe wasn't a must-win, but it certainly felt like one. And to me, I think it was because if you look at the team heading into last night, uh, 37 games left. If you do the math, they're probably going to need 98 points to get in the playoffs, which is still probably maybe not even enough. And to get 98 points, they could probably suffer 10 more regulation losses the rest of the way. And to have one happen last night when they're 27 seconds away from a point, it's deflating. And the way those last few minutes went, you kind of could feel it with the odd man rushes, the turnovers in their own zone and in the neutral zone. A couple key ones by Jacob Truber that they were able to prevent uh, any goals, but... They just couldn't keep the Blue Jackets off the board in the last few seconds. And maybe it necessarily wasn't a must win, but now they're going to really have to go on an extended winning streak at some point to make up for it. Yeah, I mean, they were going to have to do that anyway. You know, to be frank, the playoffs were a long shot before the game, and they still are a long shot. But with that being said, they were feeling pretty good about themselves. I think it's fair to say 
They've been playing their best hockey in a lot of ways in the last couple of weeks. They definitely cleaned up a lot of the giveaway issues that they had, a lot of the defensive issues that they had. They weren't bleeding nearly as many scoring chances as we saw them for, for most of the first half of the season. They knew. I mean, I had this conversation with Mika Zibanejad last week. He said there's no way we're going to get to where we want to be if we do this win one, lose one thing, or win two, lose one. They knew, you know, players are always cliche about taking it one game at a time, and they're all been saying the right things. But they knew deep down that if they really wanted to make a playoff push in the Eastern Conference, which is really crowded and deep right now when you look at the race for those final two wild card spots, they knew that they were going to have to go on a streak where they maybe rattled off five, six in a row or one, eight out of ten, something like that. Uh, you know, they still could do it. Uh, this game against the Islanders on Tuesday night is another really big game for them. But I, I think what makes it kind of linger even more right now is because they're about to head into this 10-game break. After they play the Islanders on Tuesday, they've got the All-Star break and they've got their bye week. So they're going to go 10 days in between games. And we know about all the speculation that's out there with the trade deadline and who might stay, who might go. I think that if they had let's say one last night and then we're able to pull out a win against the Islanders on Tuesday, they go into that break feeling really good about themselves and they force management to kind of think about, okay, do we really want to sell somebody like Chris Kreider right now when we've kind of inched our way back into this race? Whereas after losing the way that they did last night and let's say they lose to the Islanders on Tuesday, I think they go into that break with a very different feeling and I think they increase the likelihood that management over the course of that break makes a lot of phone calls and explores a lot of options. Now, they're going to do that regardless, but it's just right now I think that sense of urgency to go into that break feeling good about themselves was clear, and that's what made last night's loss sting even more. Yeah, and I know this season was never really about the wins and losses and points and playoffs. It was about experience and development. It's just that I feel like the rebuild sort of got uh, sped up and expedited because they got Kako, because they got Panera in the trade for Truba. And now they've played so well that they're on the doorstep. And had they had a Western Conference schedule, they'd probably be in the postseason picture uh, at this point. And you bring up the idea of trading Chris Kreider. And to me, I hope they don't fall in the same sort of trap that they've had many years, especially the year that they got blown out by the Penguins in the playoffs and then sort of kept the core together for another run and then lost again in the playoffs and then delayed their rebuild. It seems to me like even no matter what happens over these next few weeks, I feel like it's still the right decision to move Kreider. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's likely that they do, regardless of what happens here. They can, uh, they, they feel like they can get a first-round I mean, if they and if they get that, I feel like they they probably need to pull the trigger on it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep him if you're not going to sign him long term. And I do not at this point see them signing him long term unless something came out of left field and he they came up with a really team friendly deal that he was willing to accept. Um, so I, I think it behooves them to get something for him while they can instead of risk, risking losing him for nothing. But with that being said, if they were right there in the mix for that playoff spot, let's say a few points out of it, it makes it a tough it makes it a tougher call for them because they really don't have a good option right now to replace him in the top six. You know, people could I know a lot of people would like to see Capo Kako in there, maybe even Vitaly Kratzov. But I mean, quite frankly, those guys aren't ready for that kind of role on a playoff caliber team right now. If they sell up Kreider, they're essentially saying, Okay, now, at this point, we're going to move on, play the young guys, worry more about development and experience than we are making a playoff push. And I do believe that they really would 
like to make a playoff push, not only just to be in the mix and be relevant, but because I think they think it's a valuable experience for their young guys. So it's really it's a tough spot. But when it comes to Kreider, I think he's the most likely guy to get moved because if they don't move him now, they probably lose him for nothing in the offseason, whereas they could, instead of losing him for nothing, have an extra first-round pick in their pocket plus maybe a little more. To start the season, the biggest gripe for Rangers fans was certainly the roster management and how the fourth line was constructed uh, to go along with the never-ending theme about Lindy Ruff. And now the last three weeks, that sort of morphed into the three-headed goalie situation where these goalies are getting 10-plus days off between starts, and there's really no good way to handle it other than to not have three goalies. Shesterkin plays on Sunday at Columbus after he had sat in the press box for a long time, 10 days off between starts. If Henrik Lundqvist doesn't start against the Islanders on Tuesday, which I'm not sure what's going to happen, and you'll probably find out at practice today, there's a good chance he's going to get three weeks off if he plays against the Red Wings. So they continue to handle this, I guess, as best as possible as you could with a three-goalie situation, but it has to get resolved at some point, right? They're not going to keep doing this through the end of the season. I mean, they could. I don't think it's ideal for the goalies involved, but who's to say they can't do it? I, I, do, I do know that they are exploring trade options. Georgiev is obviously the guy that is probably most likely to go, but they're not just going to give him away for a mid-round pick. They want a forward that can contribute, if not now, then very, very soon. Uh, and I think that they it's smart of them to ask for a lot for him right now and to not just give him away. You know, it might, obviously, with Lundqvist right now, it's awkward he could go the whole month of January with only two or three starts, which is pretty incredible. You knew his playing time was going to be reduced this year, but to see how far it's come over the course of this month is really pretty striking. But with that said, nobody's putting a gun to their head. They, they don't have to do anything. Even with Georgiev, he's, he's a restricted free agent. So it's not like, whereas with Kreider, he's an unrestricted free agent. If they don't trade him, they're going to lose him for nothing. They don't have to do that with a guy like Georgiev. So, I definitely know that they're working the phones, they're listening to offers for Georgiev, um, and, and they're asking for a lot, which I think they should be at this point, but they don't feel that type of urgency to where if they don't trade him at the deadline, they're going to have a disaster on their hands. I mean, it is a good problem to have, to have the three goalies. Obviously, it's going to be harder to get guys, especially Lundqvist. I mean, he's really the odd man out right now. They've shown that they're not afraid to ride the young guys because uh, they feel like they're playing better right now. And Lundqvist, we know from his history that he likes to be in a rhythm. He likes to play frequently. That's when he feels like he's at his sharpest. But I, I don't feel like it's a definite must that they're going to get rid of one of the guys for the, before the trade deadline. It's possible at some point in the near future, it could even be this week heading into the break, that they decide to send Shesterkin back down. Hartford's break starts a little bit later, so Shesterkin could go down and maybe get one of the weekend starts for Hartford and then play in the AHL All-Star game. But one thing that I think a lot of fans don't consider when we talk about guys going up and down is, is how much money that will cost them. And I think with as well as Shesterkin has played, the Rangers called him up in part to reward him financially. Obviously, they want to get a look at him in NHL games, but... You know, it's a little delicate to say to a guy, hey, we want you to get some work, so we're sending you down, and oh, by the way, you're going to make significantly less money for a week <laughs> while we're doing it. So, you know, it's a touchy situation, no doubt about it, but I don't think that it's a given that they feel like they can't go the rest of the season without with three goalies. They just might do it. I wouldn't be shocked if they did. 
Well, Shesterkin got some real good goal support in his first two starts. Five goals against the Avalanche, then six against New Jersey. And then on Sunday, he gets the one, and it looked like he might hold up. It looked like he might have a shutout before uh, midway through the third. But he got a taste of what life was like for Henrik Lundqvist for his basically his entire Rangers tenure until this season when the Rangers became really an offensive first team. And I know that David Quinn would rather have his team play in like Barry Trotz and be defensive-minded and have these low-scoring games and just hope to get three goals, and that would be be enough but it almost seems to me like they should the Rangers staff should embrace this type of style this is who the team is they have great offensive de- uh, minded defensemen they have solid top six forwards it seems to me like just embrace what you are at this point and try to keep it going yeah it, but you can't also tell them you know hey we'll be a finesse skilled team and don't worry about playing defense I think that that has been the real struggle for this team is that they have a lot of young guys who aren't comfortable with playing a physical four check, which we know they need to do to have success. I think that's been a really big key to their success in recent weeks. And they've struggled in a lot of ways to get them to not necessarily fully buy in, but just play that style. Like a guy like Kapo Kako coming over from where he was playing in Finland, he's not used to that. And you can see that he's still not totally comfortable in the defensive zone. He's still not comfortable playing a physical style. So I get the, the sentiment that, the Rangers shouldn't try to force uh, square pegs into round holes. But at the same time, they do need to improve their defense. You can't complain about their defense uh, in one breath and then say, oh, well, they should just be playing a more offensive style overall because that's the type of player they have. They need to find a balance, and I think that they've been doing better at that recently. Uh, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a between a rock and a hard place because I don't think you can have it both ways. I think that there needs to be a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I agree. And I know that this isn't the long-term solution and that you'll never probably win a Stanley Cup playing the way they play. But uh, it's been fun to watch after pretty much ever since the lockout 15 years ago. I mean, they've been a team where one and two goal deficits felt like an impossible, insurmountable deficit to overcome. So it's good to see them finally scoring goals and sort of scoring at will, especially at home, aside from Sunday night. Uh, Tuesday night is this last game, the three and eight days against the Islanders. They take the first two. The Islanders have been in their own sort of rut playing 500 hockey ever since that 15-02 stretch. What do you expect here? I mean, the last game before they see them in February, the last game before this 10-day break, like you said, both mentally and, and what the front office does, a lot's riding on Tuesday night in MSG. Yeah, you know, they, they've obviously shown that they can they can handle the Islanders and they, they play well against the Islanders. I, I think the team really gets up for those games. Well, I'll have it confirmed in a little while, I'm sure. I, I have a, a strong feeling that Georgiev will play. Uh, which obviously, you know, based on what we've seen from him in the Islanders recently, looks like kind of a no-brainer decision. It's hard to say. Honestly, I think had they been on a winning streak and not lost against Columbus, that maybe you could make the argument that beating the Islanders on Tuesday night on top of that and having a winning streak going into the break would have really changed the front office's thinking going into the trade deadline. But even if they beat the Islanders on Tuesday – they're still at best going to be maybe seven or at best six points out of a playoff spot. I'm sure that over the course of this break, as I said earlier, Jeff Gorton's going to be working the phones. He's going to be exploring his options. I don't expect anything to happen over the break. They still have a month before the trade deadline. But I just think it's important for them to win for the sake of team morale right now because, like I said, that locker room was pretty down last night. But the playoff odds are long. We, we know that. At this point, if they're really going to make a run, they would have to come out of that break like gangbusters. And like I said, go on a stretch where they're winning 
eight out of ten or something like that. I, I, I don't know if it's if the te- I think the team, especially learning from what just happened in Columbus, where they hyped it up as a big game and then they fell short. I, I think that they might scale that back a little bit going into this Islanders game. Obviously, it's an important game, and they're going to do everything they can to win it. But I don't know if the season hinges on what happens Tuesday night necessarily. I know that no fan base is rational uh, as a collective unit, and it seems like Rangers fans are extremely irrational, and I get a kick out of when you know, you're know you tweeting or replying to people either during or after games. But at this current state, is what is the biggest gripe, do you think, among Rangers fans? Is it the three-headed goalie thing? Is it still Lindy Ruff? What do you find yourself answering the most about right now? Oh, it, it, it varies day to day. I was actually joking with another reporter yesterday that the fans had actually been kind of calm for, <laughs> a week or two now because the Rangers have been playing better. They hadn't really had a stretch where they won four out of five like that in a while. I think everybody was feeling really optimistic after they beat the Islanders twice. And then people were really excited about the possibility of beating Columbus last, last week. It really shows how fickle the whole you know overall feeling of a fan base can be because if the Blue Jackets don't score with 27 seconds left, let's say the Rangers score with 27 seconds left, and then I think it's all rosy again. But it did seem to turn immediately after that game. And what's funny is, like, if you look at my mentions during the second period, people were pretty happy with the way the Rangers were playing, mostly defensively. I mean, they played a really solid defensive game for the first two periods. They only allowed 17 shots. Igor looked good. The defense wasn't really having those giveaways and giving up those odd man rushes that, that we've seen them plagued by early in the season. So over the course of about 20 minutes, it went from, hey, we're feeling really good. We got a chance to beat Columbus. We're going to, you know, be winning five out of six. To all of a sudden, the sky is falling, and David Quinn doesn't know what he's talking about. And <laughs> I, I still think that the most frequent complaint is probably lineup, which to me is funny at times because it's like a no-win situation. Like, I feel like no matter what they do with the lineup, they're going to be detractors and people that feel like they know better. Um, and, and they've been pretty consistent. I mean, my biggest knock on them for a while was after Mika came back, they went more than a month where it was like they didn't go consecutive games with the same lineup. And I did feel like that was a bit of a detriment. Now, recently they've settled on these lines. I don't think they're perfect, but quite honestly, I don't know if the Rangers have any perfect solutions. I, I, you know, I think that we've seen a pretty good history with the Buchnevich, Mika, Kreider line, and they've kept that one together. I, I think that it's been wise to keep Strom and Panarin together. I know a lot of people knock Strom, but Strom's had a really good season. I mean, he's been... Panarin has obviously been the driving force of this offense, and Meek is a clear number two in that regard. But Strom has been a clear number three. Really, Strom and D'Angelo have been, you know, after the top two guys, like you're not getting much production outside of those four names that we're mentioning here. So I like keeping Strom with Panarin for now. The kid line has been really good. I think it's been good that they've stuck with these lines for a while. But, of course, the fans always want changes. Everybody wants Capo Caco moved up, even though when they did move Capo Caco up, he didn't really do much. Um, so it's some combination of the lines, you know, you've got 50% fan base that wants Henrik to never play, 50% thinks he's getting the shaft, you know, the Lindy Ruff stuff is kind of stupid because if you think that if you think an assistant coach is making the final decisions on defensive strategies, I think you're, you're just looking in the wrong place, quite frankly. And honestly, the funniest part about all the fans that complain about the defensive strategy, I'm telling you right now that when people talk about oh, this team, you know, they give up the neutral zone. They don't forecheck enough. Quinn, I'm at practice every day. Quinn harps on that stuff every single day. I don't think it's the coaching staff that's making it 
so that they're, you know, making these defensive mistakes all the time. I think that the players, a lot of their forwards especially, and their defensemen, quite frankly, are offensive-minded guys that have a difficult time adapting to the defensive, aggressive, forward-checking style that Quinn wants them to play. It's taken half a season for them to finally pound that message into their head and get them to make some improvements in those areas. So I don't necessarily think that it's a coaching strategy necessarily that is causing their defense to be so bad. I think that it's taking a lot of young, inexperienced players that don't have a lot of NHL games under their belt and teaching them to play a style that's going to be effective against these big, strong, heavy teams like St. Louis and the Islanders and the Capitals uh, that are the best teams in the league right now. The Rangers just don't have the personnel to hang with those teams. And I think that it's somewhat positive that over the course of the last month, we've seen not drastic improvement, but at least steady improvement um, on what was quite clearly the biggest knock on them in the first half of the season. So I, I know that was kind of a roundabout way of answering your question, but the fans, it, it, it's part of being a fan. It's fun. Yeah. Honestly, I enjoy engaging with them. Sometimes I clap back a little bit just to have a little fun with certain people. Um, but, you know, it, it comes with the territory. It, it's kind of one of the – honestly, I find it one of the more enjoyable parts of the job. But sometimes you can't help but roll your eyes a little bit. <laughs> and, but, but it's clearly a no-win situation because fans just overreact to every little thing. And, and last night was a perfect example of that. All right, Vince. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Rangers. Hopefully Sunday's loss to the Columbus was just a minor setback and not going to send the team into a free fall and we get some meaningless hockey uh, to take us into spring training. Thanks again for taking the time today. Yeah, I think, I think the next month is going to be really interesting, so it's going to be exciting to watch. I appreciate you having me on, Neil. All right, thanks again to Vince for taking the time to talk Rangers following that awful loss with a chance to rebound on Tuesday night at the Garden against the Islanders, get back in the win column, take two big points from the Islanders, and start to get back on track because they're going to need an extended winning streak to get into the postseason. So that has to start now. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. Sitting-